0: Welcome to the Inner World of Filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm a writer, director, editor, and a podcast producer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. Today, we're talking about screenwriting and work-for-hire writing assignments. We have the award-winning screenwriter, Philip Sedwick here today to give us tips on writing story. Welcome, Philip. So happy to have you on the show today. Thank
1: you, Tammy. I'm, gr- I'm so pleased to be here.
0: So I'd like to start with, um, how did you get into screenwriting? I read your bio and you mentioned that you wrote your first script at the prompting of a writer friend. Can you tell us about that?
1: Well, I was writing a novel. I had decided that uh, a novel was the way to go to reach the masses with good messages and great stories and things along that line. And I looked at the the volume of my of my manuscript, which is three or four hundred pages at that point, and compared it to at that time a one hundred and fifteen page screenplay draft with very little on the pages compared to my dense pages. And I thought, what am I doing? The odds of success are infinitely small in both realms, so why not do this other one? and i didn't know at the time if i could actually write so i wrote one script which was kind of a throwaway but it was a lot of fun it was a throwaway because we'd never get the licensing to do it and then i wrote my second screenplay submitted it to the nichol fellowship which is sponsored by the academy and i quarterfinaled and so i thought oh okay i i might actually know what i'm doing here so at that point i i kept writing and i Kept writing and kept writing and kept writing and I'm still writing. Oh,
0: that's that's a that's a great experience, especially for a first time doing a script. And all of a sudden, you you know are a top tier in the awards. That's that's pretty cool.
1: It and, and sometimes that happens. Uh, some people are they get it faster than others. Some, unfortunately, you know probably won't get it. But, you know, that's that's okay too. But, you know, a lot of times people will be greatly improved by working with a screenwriting coach or a mentor or, you know, the thing that I found that works really well is read the good screenplays. The good screenplays are the ones that win Oscars. And the good screenplays are the ones where the script sells for more than a million dollars. And a good screenplay is, um, you know, what was used in the basis of a film that grosses more than a hundred million bucks. Read those. Something they're doing is right.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, did you um, before you wrote the script? I mean, did you read any books on screenwriting or how to even format? Uh,
1: I read a few. I read a few back in back in the days when I started writing. There were not as many books as there are now. There's there's a glut of books now. Sid Field was one of the big screenwriting books that was out there at that point. Yes, and there were very few others. There were some Linda Seeger books, but now there's a there's a glut of of books that are out there. And by the way, me, uh, my favorite screenwriting book is Your Screenplay Sucks, Um, and that's by William Akers, and if you buy that book and read it, you will not make many mistakes that beginning screenwriters write, or how they write, and if if you buy that book after you've started writing, you might want to throw the book across the room and hopefully hit your trash can, because it will irritate you excessively, because you will realize you've probably done some of the things that you shouldn't have done. That's a great book, And then also Trotter's book, Trotter, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. The Screenwriter's Bible. You need that because it will tell you the correct way to format. Don't make up your formatting. Don't use fancy fonts. Don't write in lavender. um, They won't read it. It, It's a very rigid industry, despite the amount of creativity in it.
0: No, I get that. Um, I I can't tell you how many screenplays I've read and the formatting was atrocious. To anybody that's um, very successful is not going to spend that much time reading something that right off the bat.
1: Like uh, like maybe two pages worth. Yes. If that much. Uh, that's what software is for, screenwriting software. I know some people say, well, I write in Microsoft Word. Don't do that. Write in something that automatically formats the script. There are several. The top end programs are Final Draft and Movie Magic Screenwriter. And when I say top end, those are both going to set you back a couple of hundred bucks. There's a lower end program called Fade In Pro that is more than adequate. It's a good program. What I like about all of these programs is you are not renting the software. Um, your software. Your script is not stored in the cloud. And a lot of the free softwares that are out there will let you post one or two scripts in your cloud. And then after that, you're going to have to go pro. And a lot of them have the monthly subscription rates, which is just, that just annoys me. I, I want my software. I want my my scripts on my computer, my backup computer, and my personal cloud. That's where I want them.
0: I totally agree. I'm the same way. I have Final Draft, and I love it. And I I would highly recommend you know paying for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It
0: makes it so much easier.
1: Go to film school. You'll find that um you know you can get it at a discount.
0: What's your process for writing a script? I mean, do you write every day? Do you have a journal of your ideas?
1: Uh, I pretty much write every day. And uh, I write something every day and I'm always working ideas. And I devised from Save the Cat and in a few screenwriting classes I took with uh, Michael Haig and some others, I devised my own format for uh, creating a beat outline. And so I have 12 sections of the script and under each of those sections, I write down five action things that need to happen. And once I do that for each of the 12 segments and I have my five beats of action, then I can write the script in however many hours I spend on it, probably 10 days to two weeks. I can knock out a first draft using that. Um, so wow. I like to do the beat outline. I do not like to write treatments. I hate writing the one page summaries because it's an entirely different style of writing. You're writing narrative like you're writing a novel. And right. you know, I prefer the screenplay format. I'm very familiar with it. It's easier to write. I don't write a treatment. I've seen people write 60 page treatments for, you know, a two-hour screenplay. It's like that was a lot of effort to put into that. And wouldn't it have been easier to just write it out as you went from your from a bullet point list? So I I like the bullet point, I like the beat outline idea. And, you know, this is what happens, this is what happens. And in that, I also make sure that I have established the agendas for the antagonist and protagonist. You know, what do they want? What are they going to get? How do we know that they have the resolution that they need in the story that we're telling?
0: Do you typically have the end in mind?
1: Yes, I do. And sometimes my characters take me on a ride. Um, I've had the experience where I've written it and it's been bang, bang, bang. It's been nuts and bolts. Uh, generally when you do a work for hire, it's more like that because they have a predetermined outcome that you have to achieve. And so, you know, when you're working for somebody else, that's usually the case, but sometimes my characters will just say, I don't want to go that way. I decided to take a left turn instead of a right turn. And it's like, well, where is this going? And you might end up at the same point. And then again, you might go back and that might cause a rewrite of the entire script or resetting some of the ground floor that you, the, the piping that you, that you need to lay before you can write a successful script. So I do both. I, I have had experiences with both. I tried writing a script once with no idea of where it was going. And, you know, it's just like, well, let me just see if this is like an unfolding dream and let me write that. And that's pretty much how the script read, like an unfolding right. dream. You know, it's like, yeah, no, probably probably need to rework this or that that goes into the file cabinet, uh, the file cabinet on the computer, that is.
0: Right. So what types of stories do you typically like to write?
1: I like dramas. Um, I I prefer dramas. Um, I prefer them because you can get into more of the psychological complexity of people. You can have more fun with the dialogue. You know, if you're writing a horror film or an action adventure, you know, you have to be conscious of, well, I have to be somewhat expository and explain everything that's going on. I have to let people know what the rules of the game are. And that's stuff that you just spell out and it's more mechanical. But if you're writing a drama, you know, people are more nuanced. They're more complicated. It's a little bit like, you know, how to navigate the relationships that you know of people that you actually meet on life, you know, as you you go. So I I prefer that. I have written pretty much every genre. I am not great in family friendly because I spent seven years in the Navy and uh, my characters just they all tend to have a mouth.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, Do you research your characters or story?
1: Uh, it depends on uh, what I'm writing. If I'm writing a period piece, yeah, I do a lot of research on what was the time like. You know, I try to find maps and, you know, what was the topography like? And, you know, I'll Google satellite into areas that I'm writing about if I've never been there. So I can see how it looks and, you know, get touristy pictures and that kind of thing. Um, I do research the characters, especially you know, if you're doing a work for a hire, there's a lot of stuff to look up. There's a lot of things to find out about people. And you can you could spend a lot of time on a project doing that. I had one script that I wrote for someone that I spent probably three months in research before I got to any writing. And I read 30 books in that time frame. Oh wow. It was a historical sports piece, and that's just what was required. You know, and it got to the point where after I read about 10 books, there was a lot of rehashing of the same content, but, you know, with a different point of view. So you never knew if that different point of view was going to be the one that you needed to include. So I got to read the rest of this book. But, you know, I do that. I try to be familiar with the environment where the person is because the environment conditions your responses. I mean, a person who lives in Minnesota is going to respond to being outdoors differently than a person who's in Arizona. That's true. You know, it's just you—you look for different things. You know, up there you might be looking for a bear or a wolverine. Around here, you're looking for scorpions and snakes and gila monsters and, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, the hazards are, uh, the hazards and the circumstances and what might show up from where, is largely conditioned by location.
0: And that's a good note. To have when you're writing a story, uh, definitely, and also dialogue, like dialect, how people speak, is different in Minnesota than it is in maybe California, and what you'd say, and different ages, too.
1: It is, and you have to keep in mind that your characters must sound different when you're writing a script. You know, it's like when it's in your head. It it can all sound the same. It's not hard for it to end up sounding the same. And that's why a lot of times, I don't do this all the time, but a lot of times I'll pick a talent and think, okay, so if uh, Julianne Moore was delivering this line, how would she say it? And would she say it differently than Nicole Kidman? And if the two of them were talking, how would I know which one it was? And, you know, I try to do it by by region. You know, I don't write so much the slang. Like if you're writing somebody who's a Cajun character, I wouldn't know how to write it to make it sound like that. I would make the notation that they're speaking in Cajun and basically put in, you know, what, what their dialogue needs to be. And if you have a Cajun dialogue coach on set, you know, they can fix it. One time I did a film in totally in Spanish. I wrote it in English. Had it translated in Spanish. We got on set. We started shooting this thing, and one of the actors came up to me, an actor I really trust, and he said, "Look, we wouldn't, we wouldn't quite say it this way. Can we say it the way we would say it?" And I said, "Knock yourself out." So they went ahead and said it as they would actually say it. And then what we did is we had it reverse translated after the film was made, and then you know for subtitling and things like that, we we did it that way. So we did a little bit of reverse engineering work. Work great. And sometimes also, you know, your words are brilliant, obviously, because you're a writer. Oh my God, they're sacred. Um, Not one word should be eliminated. But um, sometimes your characters are going to come up with stuff um, and it's going to be as good as anything that that you write. I'm thinking of the first film I ever did. And one of the ad libs by one of the actors uh, made the final cut and it was great it was, it was great. It was funny. It was, um, it was, uh, it made the point and, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's so true. I've written, um, several screenplays and I usually allow people to ad lib because I think, wow, you know, um, go with what, what you're feeling because maybe, um, especially if you're yeah. in a character, uh, you might want to say a couple more things or something
1: conversely, I had an actor tell me on a a film that we were working on, and he's a very experienced TV and film actor. He said, you know, a lot of times if a word's hard for me to say, which sometimes, you know, when you're doing illiterate things, and oh, that's so clever. Look at how clever I am as a writer. You know, it doesn't roll off the tongue. You know, you wrote a tongue twister. And he said, so sometimes I modify words. He said, but what I've noticed about your writing is that you have a strategy for your word choice. And so he said, "I, I will labor to say exactly the word that you wrote and it's like oh cool thank you that was awesome
0: yeah what a compliment
1: yeah it was it was a great compliment and and he was absolutely stellar i i mean he he nailed the performance like oh god what that was awesome
0: well and also i was just thinking um it sounds like you also get the opportunity to be on set yes and sometimes writers don't get that opportunity and there's so- a reason
1: <laughs> because yeah, I, a writer. I, and it's like, wait, wait, no, that wasn't the way it was supposed to be said. You know, and the director is going to have his or her in, or their interpretation of the words that you wrote. And you need to you need to realize that sometimes they're not going to get it exactly the way, you know, I had a director tell me, Oh, I I misdirected that scene. You know, I I didn't understand what they meant. I didn't understand the tone that you were going for. And it's like, yeah, well, you could have asked. I was there. But, you know, that does happen. And now I'm directing. I'm directing partly because, you know, I want it to turn out exactly like I want. And so within the realm of uh, what I've written, you know, it's like, okay, this is exactly what I was thinking when I wrote. So there's that. But a lot of times, you know, writers... You know, but be helpful and friendly on set because there's an easy way to be uh, kicked off a set. And that's by getting in the way of of the shots, because, hey, time is muddy.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, um, I know that you directed your first film, Zap. Um, did you yes. want to direct before? And how do you write something and then let it go? I mean, I write <laughs> and direct all my stuff. So it's like, how do you do that?
1: Um. Yeah. 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 It's hard. I mean, you got to realize that, you know, you're letting go of your your kid, so to speak. Your kids 18 and now they're going to go out and make their way in the world. And they'll probably screw up a thing or two along the way. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, it's similar to that in the creative process. But you got to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, I was at a. Um, a panel discussion in Beverly Hills at the Beverly Hills Film Festival. And a new writer put up her hand and she said, but what if I write a brilliant screenplay and the director and the actors really ruin it? Won't that, won't that just trash my career? And they said, no, you'll have an IMDb credit. That's true. Yeah. And so get your IMDb credit and everybody, everybody knows inside the business that what you wrote isn't necessarily what ended up in scene. And a lot of times directors will try to overwrite you. Producers will oftentimes try to overwrite you. There are, you know, times where you need to be very friendly to that happening. And there are other times where you need to put your foot down because, you know, if the producer writes 51, rewrites 51 percent of your script, they can claim top writing belly. It's like, Wait oh, a, wow. What happened to my script? You, you know, well, it's like, oh, I wrote 51 percent of the words, according to, you know, the comparisons between the two scripts. So you're no longer the head writer. Uh that can happen. And I have heard stories where people have been written out of scripts by producers and directors and things. It's generally rare. Um, it does happen, but it's it's generally rare. And and the thing is, you know, if you're a new writer, don't worry about your work getting stolen. You know, use your brain, create a million ideas that you could write, and forget about it. If somebody takes one of your ideas, feel flattered, but really, you know top notch people aren't going to steal your work because if they know that if anything happens legally, if it gets legally messy, your their production halts. So, you know, they're not going to take your ideas. They don't they they don't want the complication.
0: Well, and and on that, um have you ever had um some like working in rewrites on films? Like did you have to come back and then rewrite scenes and stuff and how did that go? Um
1: well, there's a uh, there's sort of the joke that, you know, like when I was in the Navy and my hair was always a little longer than it needed to be back for the era that I was in. You know, you'd get busted for your hair being too long when you were trying to get off the ship and go on liberty. So you you'd disappear for a few minutes. You'd come back and say, sir, do my shoes look good now? <laughs> and, you know, and so the, the thing is, you know, if there's a significant change, if there's a significant arc that they want redone. You know, you got to write that. But some things, you know, it's like, y'all, the joke is you nod to all of the notes that you get and then you go back and you rewrite it how you want. If you're a new writer, that's probably not going to work out well if you're in a serious environment because they want you to rewrite it as they said. Um, But, you know, sometimes you can see what they're saying and sometimes it's a matter of, well, you know what? This is a work for hire. I'm writing how they want it. I'm writing how right. they want it, and so you got to realize that you're doing a job for somebody else, and so therefore it's not entirely your creativity, and y- you know you have to be flexible within within that too.
0: That's that's a good good tips on that. So you've taught screenwriting workshops, yes. Um, do you have any tips for the soon to be screenwriter or somebody about wanting to write story?
1: Well, first of all, buy the software first you know, make a commitment. If you're going to be a writer, make a commitment. I mean, make a commitment to fade in pro if you have to, it's less than a hundred bucks, but make a commitment to having the tool that you need to do it so that you can do it and have it look like it's supposed to look professionally when you're done. That's step one. Step two is always have a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. A lot of times, especially in student films and especially in short films, you get a scene. You don't get the continuity of a full story. So you want to be able to set it up. You want to be able to deliver the drama and you want to be able to polish it off. So you want to do that. Find a system for writing, Write Every day, find the time of day. If you have the luxury, find the time of day when you are most creative. Now, some of you might have a job, So if you come home at work and you say, I'm just exhausted. Okay, lie down, take a nap, get some food. If at eight o'clock you start feeling good, then write for two hours. If at midnight you feel good, then write for two hours. If you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, then write for two hours. But put some time in and try to be as consistent as you can in the time of day that works for you. And try to find, you know, it's a matter of your basic personal bio-rhythm. It's a matter of your metabolic clock. You know, match your clock because if you write when you have the most energy for writing and, you know, your creative energy just needs to jump, You can gush out pages. And when I say you can gush out pages, I mean, a good writer can write 30 pages a day easy. And, you know, sometimes other days you will labor to write a page. But, you know, if you're writing in your most creative time, it's easier. Do not share your stories with people who do not understand how movies are written. You know, don't tell your friends. Don't tell your parents. You know, don't share it with your uncle because you're going to get either, what are you doing that for? What's wrong with you? Are you nuts? You know, you're going to get that or you're going to get bad ideas. Well, what if he met uh, an elephant and the elephant was wearing a tutu? No way, Disney did that. You know, what if there was a kangaroo and it was smoking a cigar? You know, that'd be funny. Yes, it would be funny, but it doesn't have anything to do with my story. You know, so you're going to get bad input from people. I would also say, in terms of you know there's a lot of stuff going on right now peer to peer review i don't encourage peer to peer review unless you really like the person with whom you are doing this process and the reason is there's unconscious competitiveness between writers and also peer you got to figure that peer review it's lateral you're not getting the words from the master. I mean, if you want words from the master, then take the master class from Aaron Sorkin online. Aaron Sorkin, the greatest screenwriter of the modern era. My God. And who's now directing his stuff. Um, you know, I mean, this guy is brilliant. And notice what notice what good writers do. Like Aaron Sorkin has this little thing that he does where he, he shows you something and then it goes away. And now Hitchcock would show you something that wouldn't mean anything, a MacGuffin, you know, and but Sorkin shows you something and you forget about it. And then later it comes back in the film and it's like, I can't believe I forgot about that. That was a critical plot point. He does that a lot. And he is a master of doing that so that when your story ends, you people go back and they say, wow, everything was there. I just missed it. Oh, my God. How unaware am I? how unaware am I in my life? So you're actually helping people figure out a way of being more conscious with everything they do in the real world is is one of the things. Steal dialogue, go to Starbucks and listen to how people talk and notice that it's very common for people not to answer one another. Like you see it all the time in love stories, you know, I love you. Well, I hope we can go to the picnic. You know, it's like, yeah, no, that didn't, those answers didn't match up, but that's how people talk all the time. And why is it that they talk like that? And how does this happen? Why do people hide things and, you know, and get to know your characters and get to know their motivations? And one final thing on the character, know, know everything about them. Like I like to say, you know, what instrument they played in high school band because the instrument that they chose to play in high school band is an indication of their personality. You know, why do some people pick the tuba and other people pick the piccolo? And why do some people want to push around the xylophone and play the drums, you know, and trombones? And, you know, some of these instruments are just harder to play. And what type of person selects those? So it's like, you know, if, you, if you're trying to figure out something about your character, you know, assign them an instrument to play. And why would they play that instrument? So, do you keep journals or backstories of your characters? Um, I write notes a lot of places. Um, like, I'll I'll have notes that I'll just kind of write on the. Com- I mean, sometimes I'll write them out by hand and then I'll put them on the computer. And and then, okay, this is dialogue I want to use someday. This is a character note that I'll, I someday I think it would be interesting if there was a person who, and you know, whatever that person's scenario might happen to be. You never know when these things are going to are going to be useful. Uh, you, you know, you want to write where your attention is. And I remember talking to um, a, a fellow writer up in LA a number of years ago, and she had just gotten divorced. And she said, all I can write right now is, you know, love scenes. And it's like, okay, so write love scenes. You're obsessed. You, you just got divorced. Okay. So we know where your head's at. Write those scenes and don't worry about where they go. Just write them because that's where your attention is. Then later, they're going to have a neat fit into a story. It's like, where did I put that thing? So you always want to name your files well. Pick good names for your files so that, you know, not schlocky Thursday thoughts because what are those schlocky Thursday thoughts? You know, this this is my chocolate ice cream page. Okay. Um, You know, whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, you you know, you kind of keep track of those things. I've got a lot of scripts that I've started writing and I, I just stopped because I didn't like where the story was going or I realized that the story that I was writing wasn't going deep enough. And sometimes you can write something remarkably fast when somebody gives you a trigger thought. And so when that happens, do that.
0: Well, and I think you, that you brought up some, a lot of very good points. Um, I, I do that too, like I'll watch movies and maybe they do a scene or a dialogue and I'm like, oh my God, that is so brilliant. Um, so I might yeah. write down the dialogue and yeah. just maybe spur me for a thought of a movie or something to expand on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And whenever you see something like that, buy it you know, and, and then watch it and watch it and watch it and watch the really good stuff. You know, there's a lot of places online where you can get scripts, simply scripts. And I mean, just Google, where do I get such and such a screenplay? You're going to get all of these places where you can get it and watch a movie reading the screenplay, you know, turn the pages as you go and watch how it's the same and how it's different. And then watch how it is on the page versus, you know, how it came out on the, on the script, you know, years ago, I I met this guy in a coffee shop in L.A. when I was first writing, and he said, read Breaker Morant. Breaker Morant Mm -hmm. was written by Bruce Beersford. It's a story about a court-martial during the Boer War in South Africa. And he said, it is the most brilliant screenplay ever written. I end up watching Breaker Morant at least once a year. I read the script, and I immediately saw why that was the case. Well, Bruce Beersford had a lot of difficulty getting a script made. Studios were saying, no, this, 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 nobody's to No. And it was, it was great what he did and how he did it. And I highly recommend that script and then watching the movie. And Oh, by the way, he was nominated for an Academy award for screenwriting with that thing that the studio said, ah, nah, nah, you know, that happens too. Nobody knows nothing.
0: Right. Well, and also all these uh, stars that didn't take roles that, you know, won Academy awards. But then I think, well, they weren't meant to play it. I mean
1: there's that, and you know, it's also when you're looking at it, it's like, God, that's gonna be 40 days in the jungle. You know, we we watched um Bridge on the River Kwai the other night uh, from Turner Classics, and you know that was shot in Ceylon in 1957, and it was they were in this jungle, and it's like How did they get their dailies? That's what I was wondering. You know, how did that happen? And oh, my God. And how long did it take? It was a long movie. It's like three hours. It's like, wow. I mean, they had to be there months. And like, did they get, you know, the chance to go on R&R like a sailor does? You know, did they fly you someplace groovy like India or or something so you could kind of shake it off? I mean, you know, sometimes people look at what's involved and they go, you know, I just don't want to, I just don't want to do that. You know, it's not worth it to me to do that. Sometimes, uh, you know, it might be an actor would say, well, I don't want to have to learn that accent or I don't want to learn tap dancing. Or, you know, sometimes they'll turn down roles because of that kind of thing. Um, And then you also read about actors who just get so totally enmeshed in the roles and the things that they learn and the things that they do. It's just, you know, it's staggering. I mean, they, they do put out a lot, Talent is your friend because they're going to make you look good. Editors are going to make you look good. And if all goes well, directors are going to make you look good. Uh, producers are going to make you look good. Be friendly with everybody in the business. They're going to make you look good.
0: Yeah. Um, do, do you write for specific actors? Do you have actors in mind?
1: I do. I do. I have um, I have some actors that I've, that I've done films with, and I, I tend to write for them. And then sometimes I'll pick you know, a talent that I just saw who I can't get out of my head. And it's like, wow, they are really terrific. And I'll write thinking of them. I mean, you're probably not going to cast that person unless you come up with a multi-billion dollar film budget. Um, but you never know. Uh, and and so it, it helps you. Again, it helps you uh, write the characters so they don't sound the same.
0: Exactly. Uh, that's what I do is I always have the actor in mind who I'd like to play it. And then I write for how they would speak and what they would say yeah. or not say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and how they would deliver it. I mean, some people, I mean, De De Niro's going to have his delivery. I mean, he's just going to have that way of doing it. If you get a sarcastic comedian to go ahead and to play a part, they're going to be a sarcastic comedian. You know, J.K. Simmons, who does the insurance commercials and has done a bunch of movies and in being the Ricardos, you know, he he was just spot on perfect for a guy of his era. I mean, you know, he just he just brought it in. He had the right inflection. I mean, Brian Cranston's got a way of saying things. Yes. So does Nick well Nicole Kidman can say it pretty much the way anybody says it. I mean, she was brilliant as Lucy. But you you know, you're gonna hear them. They're gonna they're gonna all say what they say through the slant that they have, through who they are. You know, I mean they, right. you know, they have a voice range and you know, all kinds of stuff. But you want to think of things that help you you, that help you be inspired to write, but you don't want to write things in a way that if that person doesn't get cast, then you can't do the movie. You know, get over that. You know, it's it, it may not be who you want anyway because of scheduling or right. any number of things.
0: So you're a work for hire. Yes. Screenwriter. Yes. Um, can you tell us how you were hired to write the film Out of the Darkness?
1: Yeah. Actually, I was talking with a friend who's a musician in L.A., and she was saying, oh, my family and I, we want to go for a little trip in Arizona somewhere. We don't know where to go. And I said, well, go to Flagstaff. And while you're there, go to Lowell Observatory. And when you go to Lowell Observatory, you know, Lowell Observatory is famous for two things. It was there that they discovered that the universe is expanding. And it was there that Pluto was discovered. Clyde Tumbaugh in 1930, with extreme limitation and great hardship and cold and and, and avoiding bears when he had to go out to the telescope. And, you know, I mean, there were just so many things. And it's a fascinating story of overcoming impossible odds. I mean, counting stars on a plate where you actually had to count stars and compare this plate to that plate. And they had to be matched up perfectly. And, oh, my God, it's like, you know, it's like uh, if you're OCD, this is cool. But if you're not, this is like, what a pain. So, anyway, she went to uh, the Low Observatory Uh, with her family and came back and said, Oh my God, I was so moved. I mean, I cannot believe how emotional it was to be there. it's like, yeah, that's how I felt. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. So um, she hired me to write the story. We're in the process of putting it out there, you know, working to shop it. It's a period piece as in, you know, the cars that you have on the street are not today's cars. So that costs a little more. And there are other things, you know. The main thing is to get people interested in a biopic, as they say. And yet, a lot of biopics are really successful, and other biopics, you know, die on the vine. But this one, it'll it'll get out there. It's a it's a good story. And again, it's it's one of those where the odds were impossible. You know, I, I can imagine Clyde Tombaugh lying down at night and thinking, "What am I doing? I'll never find a planet." And and yet here he is, and. You know, all of that. And oh, by the way, they're using some of the methods that he used back in 1930 uh, that were used in the 1700s and 1800s. And uh, they're being used now to go ahead and to try to find what they think is a planet the size of Mars out in the deep space of our solar system. Won't that upset all of the people who demoted Pluto? And I mean, there's a whole there's a whole realm of controversy surrounding this. And it's fascinating because, you know, when Pluto was discovered, you had to throw away your textbooks. You know, a lot of textbooks had to get, they they were no good. It's like, well, Neptune's the furthest planet from the sun. No, that's not true. And it's like, well, now what are we going to teach? Who's going to rewrite this new stuff? And wait, these guys were saying there's a lot of stuff out. Maybe they were right. Oh my God, we have to reset the way we're thinking about everything. What a pain in the patootie that is.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Well, and it's also nice that, you know, by writing his story, he gets to be known in a different way. Yeah, he does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was he was remarkable. He played. He paid for his own plane ticket. I mean, he he was poor as dirt. He was a farmer in Kansas. He paid for his own ticket one way to go out there and be an intern. You know, they gave him a little bit of money. I mean, th- there's a whole intern thing in there, too. Well, if you're an intern, should you be paid? Well, even Clyde Tombaugh got paid. Um, it wasn't much, but he got paid. And he had credit down at the local diner. You know, so the Black Cat Cafe, you know, less. Um, yeah, you know, so there's there's all of these things that we can relate to. It's like, how far are you willing to go? You know, are you willing to risk it all? Are you willing to be bold enough to say, I'm going to send pictures I drew to the best astronomers out there looking for planets? You know, that's a little bit like saying, am I going to send my my script to somebody who might actually be able to produce it? Or am I going to say, well, I've written a lot of screenplays. Am I actually going to put myself out there and, and risk the rejection? So there's a parallel there.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was a fish out of water being there. It was a fascinating time. There were quirky little things that happened, you know. You were in between world wars, and there were all kinds of fun things that happened with that. And when you and when you research um, a story like that, you find out so many little fascinating tidbits. And you've got to be you got to find a clever way of weaving in those fascinating tidbits so that they become relevant to the story. Otherwise, you just have distractions. It's like, oh, that was the first time that they ever had a boomerang. Oh, well, uh, not in that story, but. You know, it's like, oh, so how did they figure out how to make one of those? And and you know, you you run into things like that, and it's like, wow, how does this relate to the character in, in one way, shape, or form? And again, the best at this right now is Sorkin. He can do this like yes. nobody else.
0: Yeah, I love all of his films, and even his first film that he directed, Molly's Game. Yes, oh, I mean, what a knocking out of the park to direct.
1: That was that was a fabulous film. Yes, fabulous film, beautifully acted incredible yeah and that was a true story i mean he does uh he does like the true stories and things that are sort of like documentary themes and you know he's a screenwriter who when he was getting ready to work on the television was called the newsroom uh he went and hung out on sat with cable news host in in particular you know just to see how everything went and what it was like behind the scenes and how they cued the host of can you hear me? You know, pick your nose if you can hear me. You know, it's like, well, okay, not that, but you know, pull your right earlobe and make it look cute. And you know, so he he enmeshes himself in the, in the writing process, which you kind of gotta do, you kind of gotta obsess when you're writing.
0: That's true. So, how do you get these assignments? How do how did that work for people that want to be uh, work for hire?
1: Uh boy. Uh, you got to have a couple of really good scripts and you got to have, you know, to get hired, you kind of need to have a script that's more or less related to the genre that, that you're, that you're writing. I mean, a lot of times people will say, I want my life story written Uh, a word to the wise here. This is a difficult process because they are emotionally attached to the outcome of their life. There are certain things that must be in the screenplay, no matter what, even if it doesn't work to drive the screenplay forward. No, that was important. My mother spilled the tomato soup. That was a hugely important day. You know, so you got to figure out how to write in tomato soup spilling. But, you know, you, you, you look around. I mean, there are several places online where writers hang out, LinkedIn. Um, Stage 32 is a good writing resource for anyone who wants to be in the film business. They've got about eight hundred thousand people. It's like Facebook for only friendly and not corrupt uh, for for filmmaking people. And there's lots of people in there and they're looking around. I, uh, last week I pitched, I was one of a half a dozen maybe people that pitched somebody who wanted a sports story written, a diversity, disability, sports story, You know, I gave it my best shot and the guy really liked me, but he hired a writer who lived near him because he wanted to do that as opposed to Zooming the story. I mean, you kind of got to work with anyone that you work with. Zoom is very convenient these days, not only because of the pandemic, but it it minimizes, you know, drive time and, you know, all of that kind of thing. You also get more done if you're on a Zoom because you're less distracted by things that happen around you. But you know, you gotta be out there, you've gotta be you gotta be pounding the pavement, you've gotta be looking. You can talk to people and say, Hey, have you ever thought about how to make that a movie? And then, you know, you gotta get paid to write a script. So the other thing that you have to figure out is what's it worth to write a script for somebody? You know, you could write a script for someone for five hundred dollars, but you just got paid five hundred dollars for working six weeks, for working hard six weeks. So your minimum wage was When you translate that, it's like that's not something. And so there are a lot of creative ways that you can get paid so that you can do the work for not an obscene amount of money, but a viable amount of money. I figure that if I'm going to do a work for hire, I figure out how long it's going to take me to write that. I know how much I'm going to need to live for the time frame that I need to write on that nonstop in a concentrated manner. So that's the minimum that I have to ask for mm-hmm. because you've got to be comfortable when you're writing because if you're stressing about the real world, you aren't going to write well. That's true. So, you know, those are a couple of things to kind of factor in. And when you, when you are going to write for someone in a work for hire environment, it's their project, their idea. You know, you can be as brilliant as you need to be to get the gig, but then you've got to realize that you've got to start thinking like them and have a mind meld because your job is to deliver their product. Yeah, that's true. And this is good experience, you know, if you can, if you can do this, you know, if you can find somebody who wants a script written, because uh, if you work for a studio, I mean, the odds of selling a spec script, a script that you write because this is something that you want to write. The odds of selling one is really small. You're more likely to use a spec script to get hired somewhere later on. And you could pitch your scripts and, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's not what we're looking for right now. You know, there is that, but it's like, I like your style. I'm going to keep you in mind. And what about this project? And you also have to decide how much you would do for someone to prove that you can write their script. Well, write me 30 pages. You know, some people, they don't usually say 30 pages, they say 10 pages. And that's tricky because if they use an idea that you wrote, you might think you've been ripped off and that you had your idea stolen. But then again, you don't know if some other writer came up with the same idea. There's that collective consciousness pool that's out there in Hollywood. It said that everybody is writing the same screenplay at the same time. And it's kind of true. There were two wide-rip stories that came out around the same time. You know, you see two baseball movies come out about the same time. You know, it's not uncommon for superhero movies to come out at the same time. Of course, that seems to be like breakfast. You know, that happens every day. You know, again, it's like you're you're delivering a product for someone else. So take your brilliance and filter it into the template that they give you. And be constructive and creative and offer ways that it works better. And also point out, you know, it's a good idea to study the the way the business works and how legal liability works. Because if somebody says, oh, I want to write a story about how I got fired from that job and they shouldn't have fired me. Well, okay, you can write that story. And if you write the boss supervisor of the person that fired that person and you use the real name. If you're not clever about how you put that deal together, someone can get sued and it might be you. So you want to think about those things, too. It's like, how do you get indemnity in a script? How is that done? And what would it be if we fictionalize this? Or wouldn't it be easier just to make up a story? Right. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the the names have been changed to protect the innocent. You know, it's generally the names have been changed to protect the guilty um, so that you won't get come after. And that can happen, too.
0: Have you ever co-writed with somebody?
1: Yes. Um, and it's, um, it's an interesting process. I prefer not to because it slows you down. I have had co-writers that I really liked as individuals, and you would end up arguing about a single word for three hours. And it's like, you know, we haven't turned a page and we've been here for three hours. So, you know, we ought to be nine pages in. And why are we still fussing about this word? Let's put in a placeholder that we can both agree on. Let's put in an inert word that we can both agree on and go on. It's an interesting mix. Sometimes it works better um, because, you know, if you get somebody that that has um, a different point of view, you know, and they see it a little differently than you, it's sort of like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. So it can work like that. It's um, the collaborative process is, you you know, you got to know your part. And you got to realize that when you're in a collaborative process with someone else, they're going to be better at some things than you are. You're going to be better at some things than they are. And so that understanding kind of needs to come together. I would say that the most enjoyable collaborative writing process I've had has been with my partner, not just in writing, but my partner, partner. And she and I sat down and she came up with this idea. We were having some wine one night, a source of good inspiration. And it's like, Hey, what about a story like this? It's like, yeah, okay. Yes. Well, we're, we're in the process of actually reworking that script though. We wrote it years ago because we know more now than we did when we wrote it. And so we're fixing to do that. But that was, I think the most enjoyable process and with the least amount of tension, sometimes there's a lot of tension when you're writing because no, it's gotta be this way. And it's like, all right. You know, there's there's a lot of give and take in the, in the writing process. But if you find someone like um, I'm trying to think of the comedy writing team, Babalu uh, Mandel and Lowell Gantz, those two guys, they had a kismet. If you got a kismet with someone, work it, beat it to death, you know, take that and, and run it. Because, you know, when you when those guys had a machine and they could write comedies like nobody's business. And, you know, so sometimes you can get that. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's really how much do you like this person? And if you're going to write with someone, I would say you really got to like that person. Because if you're not sure, it's going to get tense. Right before you fade out in that screenplay if you fade out in that screenplay yeah
0: and how do you go between like working with somebody does somebody start working on the script and then gives it over to the other because if you're both writing at the same time it would kind of screw up the script wouldn't it like how do how do you work with somebody
1: with with final draft you can both write in the script at the same time and you know that can get a little messy even but it's like well i'm gonna write this scene and you write that scene And then we'll merge those two scenes because you're better at that kind of thing. You're better at chit-chat dialogue, and I'm better at writing the action. So you can do that kind of thing and merge it together, which is great because that's kind of how a writer's room is going to work. If you were lucky enough to get on a series, it's like, here, you write this. You know, you got these five pages. I want it by, I want it yesterday. That's when I want it. So it can help you like that. And, you know, it's like you can you can find the places where you work and then sometimes you can just flow. And sometimes you'll just write something and read it to your partner and then your partner's going to say, no, take that out. And then it's like, OK, take that out. Ditch it. And then what do you write next? So there's a lot of ways that you can do it. You know, and it's just a matter of how well do you guys interact and on what level. It's trickier. It is It is trickier. You know, I've had good experiences writing with people. The most difficult experiences I've had yeah. have been with people. How do I say this politely? Don't know about as much about screenwriting as I do. And they want this thing done. And it's like, this isn't going to work. You know, what you've got to realize, uh, like I just uh, worked with someone on a script not long ago. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're going to have readers and readers are generally going to be young and a lot of the readers are going to be female and what you just wrote there that's going to piss off all the of women young women aren't going to take kindly to what you just wrote so you need to know that because that's an excellent way of getting your script pitched into the circular file no you know, a person wouldn't say that or they can't do that or there's all kinds of things that 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 happen in there right and by the way just something that will help your writing and incredibly everybody a person never starts to do something in a script, they, they start to walk. No, they walk. How do they walk? Describe the walk. So if a person is doing something that's a common verb, find a clever way of saying that common verb. There's no, try to get rid of ing verbs. Those just, they just don't work. And a script is written present tense, present tense. You know, those are important things to keep in mind. And if you're a beginning writer, Try to work around, you know, I know a lot of people think the flashback is the most clever way to write things. When I started writing, flashbacks were an indication that you didn't know how to write a story. Now flashbacks are done a lot everywhere. And so, you know, I have to kind of yield a little bit to that. But it's like, can you write the story in linear time? Can you tell a story in that time frame and get it done successfully? I think that's a good challenge as opposed to, But you know, it's like the story is all flashbacks and it's like, OK, I'm not going to read it. And that'll happen when you're pitching.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree to that. And I think you got to tell it in nuances, alluding to the past and be creative about how you can tell the story without having to yeah. tell the story. Like we see that a lot in the TV shows, you know, especially medical dramas. How many times do they explain what they're doing? It's like, there are other doctors. They don't need to explain that. They know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I mean, I just feel, oh, that's for us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was thinking of something about the explanation there that you were just saying, and I dropped my thought. But yeah, it's like in referencing the past, Here's a, here's a couple of considerations. When you go into the past, you're generally changing. You can change costumes and you can change cars and you can change buildings and, you know, all of the set decor. Is it easier production-wise to go ahead and to tell that? And can it be told emotionally? It's like some people can tell a story about what happened to them and they can quiver as they're doing it. And it's like, oh, my God, you would feel it more than if you watch them actually going through that event in their life when they were not quivering. Because now right. they're quivering in reaction to, you know, the post-traumatic stress or whatever it is that they have relative to that incident. So it has to be weighed from the standpoint of, is it more emotionally impactful to tell a story in the present tense about the past or to show what that was? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's a tough one.
0: Now, do you help writers? Do you ever do script reviews? Yeah. And somebody could hire you to do that? Yeah. What I prefer to do, I don't write
1: coverage. Um, I don't read contest scripts. But if somebody wants to talk about, well, I've got the script and I'd like to know what you think about it. What I'm inclined to do is to read it, make a few notes on the page and in the script, depending upon what form I have it in. Sometimes it's more, it's more painful in a PDF to make notes in there than it is to write it on paper. And then I prefer, you know, I don't want to write all of this stuff out because that's writing. and That takes away from my writing. So how about if we do a Zoom call? We'll do an hour Zoom. And I'll tell you what I think and we'll go through it and I'll have my notes and my markers and and we'll go through the script that way. I prefer to do it that way than doing a whole write out because, again, it takes away from your own writing and it's a different style of writing.
0: Yeah. And then at least you can um, the person has a chance to uh, have time with you. And, and I get guess your- and
1: then go home and cry after after the process. Um, <laughs> you know I mean it's it's tough, you know emotionally, you got to start growing a couple of layers of epidermis because you're gonna get you're gonna get punched, you're gonna hear, you suck, you're gonna hear you, you know I've, the, the film I just directed, uh, we have festivals that have reached out to us and said, and this surprised me during the pandemic there were more films made. I thought there'd be less. There were more films made. We had so many good films to select and we only had so much time. And we didn't screen your film. And I have had, you know, several festival directors come back and say, sorry, we really liked it, but we just couldn't do it. And sometimes you'll hear that from a reader. You know, we really liked your script, but it's just, it's out of budget. The people who are pulling the purse strings won't do it, you know, that kind of thing. But you need to, you need to develop some thick skin because you will hear some things coming back that are going to be tough sometimes in writers groups people are unnecessarily brutal um if you put your script up on the blacklist or one of those places where you can get a peer-to-peer review sometimes that's pretty brutal and you know you can your, your feelings can get hurt you have to separate it from the standpoint of was this valid you know you've got to decide was this valid criticism or they didn't get it and if they didn't get it why Why didn't they get it? Something, if they didn't get it, there's something you didn't explain right.
0: Yeah. Do you think um, it's important for people to have somebody read their script and give them notes? And then how do you figure out who you should send your script to?
1: Yeah, there's that. Yeah, I think that's valuable. But you need someone, again, that you can trust. Somebody who knows the industry, somebody who knows more about the industry than you do. There's a ton of places out there that are gonna read your script for anywhere between fifty and eighty thousand dollars. I'm exaggerating eighty thousand, it's more like a hundred and fifty thousand. You know, somebody's gonna be out there and you can spend a lot of money doing that. In the beginning, should you get some feedback? Yeah, you should. You should get some constructive feedback from someone that you know has the experience to give you the feedback that you need to hear. So yes, I would say in the beginning, and I would say, as you go, use that to develop a a learning posture within yourself, a barometer in the belly, if you will, where, you know, when you write it, yeah, it's not quite right, but I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on. You know, I've heard singing instructors say, if you clunk a note, don't stop, keep going, keep going. And, Go back and get it right next time. And just note, I didn't like the way that went with that character. It's just, it was too long, just too long. And so you know where that is and go back and fix it. So you develop your own writer's instincts. You know, pretty much I have an idea after I write a script, you know, I'll I'll sit with it for a day or two and go, I didn't like the way that went. You know, I can find a better way of saying that. Um, needs to be a little tighter, needs to be a little more pointed. Your belly will tell you. After a point, your belly will tell you. So I think in the beginning, yeah, get some get some good feedback. Probably one of the fairer places to go right now is stage 32. You can get some decent feedback on there. You'll hear people that will say, oh, my God, the feedback was amazing. You'll hear other people who were told, yeah, you probably should keep your day job. You know, you'll hear those people say, oh, it was a terrible review. Um, it's a terrible review if they told you, you needed to correct things. And it's going to be more work. But yeah, you probably should get some, and you got to figure what you're willing to spend. You can spend a lot of money getting, getting opinions on your script, and you may not get it to the point where somebody is going to be reading it and be wowed by it such that they will either buy it or hire you,
0: Right? Yeah.
1: which are the objective.
0: On a final note, uh, what about writer's block? Anything, any yes. suggestions when people say, I've got writer's block, if there is a thing?
1: I don't think it's a thing. Um, I think it's, um, you know, some days ideas come more freely than they do other days. And so on those days, you know, do something a little bit more mechanical. Go back through your script and say, I'm going to delete every usage of the word and in my screenplay today. OK, so no new ideas are coming through. Go do that. Because when you do that, you're going to find other things that are going to start you flowing in other directions. And oh, by the way, if you get an idea that's not related to the script that you're in, don't make it a throwaway. Write it down. Take time out to write it down so that you're going to be able to remember what that is when you pick it up later and and then go forward from there. I don't really believe in writer's block. I think it's a thing. It's it's pretty easy to throw around. Oh, I have writer's block. And it's like there are some days where I don't feel like writing. There are some days where the ideas don't come. But I always do something that's related to my writing to push it forward. So you're kind of writing, but you're not writing. You can write in your head. You can write in your head. Just don't forget it. So, you know, it's like watch a movie. Watch a movie that brings you to tears. Have a glass of wine if you do such a thing or, you know, whatever else you use to... Dumb out the part of your brain that's that is so entrenched in the mundane and worry and fretting that it's tripping you up. Get rid of that thing. I, I generally think that it's something like that. Uh go sit in a different place and try writing. Go outside, take a walk, lean up against a tree, take a shower. I I find that uh taking a nap is a, a really good way of ensuring the continuity. You don't know, take your little nap and lie down and say, okay, I'm stuck on this particular point. Take a little nap, have a little dream. Next thing you know, you go back and you write and it's like, hey, there it is. Yeah. And, and I, you don't even know it's there.
0: Right. I found that like uh, going for a walk, like you said, I've gone up for walks and then I was like, I had to record myself on my phone because all of a sudden I was getting a flood of ideas. Yeah. So sometimes it's just taking yourself yeah. out of the chair. Yeah doesn't mean that you're taking yourself out of the chair right in a way.
1: right and if you lived in a house like yours you don't know, pet the cat um mm-hmm. you, you know that save the cat as as in that screenplay book pet the cat pet the dog talk to the parakeet whatever you know if you got a hamster you know what would you do and the hamster's gonna look at you and say more peanut butter please you know so it's like so that, oh, my God, that's a great line. Can I have some more peanut butter, please? The character says, oh, my God, that's brilliant. And that's the thing that gets the biggest laugh in the room. And, oh, my God, it came from your hamster. So, yeah, just, you know, shift shift gears. Yeah, and also if you're having a hard time in life, it is hard to write. You know, sometimes it's just difficult because of life. But, you know, it's a discipline, so push yourself through it. You know, I I have to say that my my time in the military was one of the best things that contributed to my riding, because it doesn't matter how you feel, you still got to get up and go on watch, and you're still going to go into a combat mission today, whether you want to or not, you know, so it's like life is whether you want to or not, life goes on whether you want it to or not. So you might as well use the time that you got, and, you know, apply yourself, and Try to force yourself a little bit. That that doesn't hurt you.
0: Well, and I also liked what you were saying. It's like, yeah, life happens to you. But I also think that in life situations are going to help you in your script. It's something about yeah. maybe what you're going through could be a character yeah. thing. Or- yeah.
1: Life happens to you. That's a good comment that you just made there. But a protagonist always actively takes on what happens to them. Your protagonist must be active. Yes. Passive protagonists yes. are boring. So, you know, think about that when life is happening to you. Yeah, fine. So, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Shut up and do what you're going to do about it. Come on, figure it out. Do something. It doesn't matter if it's wrong. You know, you'll fix it. You'll figure it out, but do something. You know, it might be brilliant.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that getting into action definitely helps you get out of your head and your problems, um, not wallowing in them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thank you so much, Phil, for being on the show. This was just so enlightening.
1: Well, absolutely. My pleasure. And you know where I am. If uh, people come back and say, what the hell was he talking about? And you get a lot of that. We We can talk about that some more someday.
0: Yeah, I would love that.
1: Great. Keep writing. Keep writing. Write every day. You know, push the curve, push the rope keep it going because you know the more that you do that kind of thing the more that you engage it the easier the creative process becomes if this is what you're going to do never quit
0: thank you so much for listening i encourage you to get out there and make a film reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect please subscribe to the show if you like it and follow me on instagram at tammy maguero until we meet again what's your story